Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. So, as you guys are coming in, we'll, get, we'll go ahead and get started. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Oh God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us your Son, Jesus Christ, as uh, the Son of your right hand, the one who has all authority and might in heaven and on earth. We ask that uh, we would see Jesus for who he is by his words, um, but also by his gifts. Uh, in Jesus' holy name, amen. All right. <sighs> this, is, this is the grand and glorious conclusion, not of the class, uh, but <laughs> of the first major division. Uh, the Gospel of John is really, you could divide it into two halves. And so the first half will end here with chapter, at the end of chapter 10, um, beginning, and then chapter 11 really begins the passion narrative or at least the pre-passion narrative, 11 and 12, and then, and then the entry into Jerusalem. So in a sense, um, Jesus is also, I think, or John, in the way he's recording the events, is wrapping up everything that's been happening, especially since chapter 5 with the Jews and their, his interaction with, with the Jews, the religious leaders. Um, so in one sense, they're separate narratives, but they really, one leads into the next as well. And everything that Jesus, that really has been the source of conflict um, for Jesus with the Jews and with others up to this point is really ultimately pointing towards really the greatest crisis or conflict in the gospel is the cross. And, and we've talked about that here and there, sprinkled throughout, and how you know, there's, this conflict is really going to reach its apex there um, in the trial and um, the suffering and death of Jesus. So uh, Jesus does kind of amp it up to the point where um, the, really, the narrative is going to end. The story is going to, the first part of the story is going to end. But I think it does lead right into the second part. So um, to say that there's a divide isn't artificial, but it's also, it's not as if there's two books that have been smashed together. All right. It's, it is a continuation. Uh, just to recap, remember that at the end of the last chapter in dealing with the, the man who was born blind that was healed, it concluded this way. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. So Jesus' word divides the people. You know, either you trust in him or you don't. There's no gray area for Jesus. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And I think that really is the significant theme of the first um, this first division of, of the book up through chap, the end of chapter 10 here is he asks, in a sense, who do you say that I am, to quote the synoptic gospels. That he, he's demanding that you identify him for who he is, that is, he's the son sent by the father with the father's word to do the father's deeds. But his words are confirmed by his actions. Okay? So here they're like, well, he says he's the son of God, but Regardless, you say he has a demon, whatever that was all about, could a demon open the eyes of, of, of a man who's born blind? And of course the answer is no. 
right? So his words confirm, uh, his words are confirmed by his deeds. And that's going to be really what's going to go on here in the next section. All right. So let's read. Um, I think we can just read to the end of the chapter. So let's do that. Anybody in particular? Louder so we can hear you. we have a fly in the middle of winter? <laughs> well, we had a bat on Wednesday, so I suppose it's possible. All right. So you'll see a lot of the same kind of themes that we've been talking about in the last the first part of chapter 10 with the good shepherd and the sheep, um, but also the theme that we've been having all the way since the beginning of chapter 5, where I and the Father are one. All right. And that theme has kept coming up. Um, but note that how it begins. So we had a little bit of a break here, and I think you know, the ESV is wise in putting this larger spacing here to tell you that there's been, a, there's been a span of time. That's why they do that, just to indicate you know, to the reader, okay, now there's been a break. Jesus hasn't left Jerusalem or the area around Jerusalem. Yeah, he's been hanging out there because while his time has not yet come, it is now time you know, for the Passion to begin. And so the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Uh, it was winter. Now, this is, the only, <laughs> this is the only place, I did a quick search before we started class, this is the only place in the, in the uh, New Testament, or Old Testament for that matter, that mentions this feast. And it's not one of the seven like, great feasts that are appointed in, um, you know, in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. This is um, the feast uh, that we know as Hanukkah. Dreidel, 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 dreidel made of clay. I don't know why I know the song, but anyway. Um, and uh, you probably don't know a lot of the history, but we, we talked about this, was it last week or two weeks ago? A couple weeks ago, we were talking about the apocryphal books 
So the books that were written in the intertestamental period between Micah and, or excuse me, Malachi and uh, and John or Matthew or John or whatever gospel, those 400 years where there's no there's no prophetic revelation from God. That doesn't mean things weren't happening. Things were happening, and those some of those are recorded in the book of Maccabees. I meant to grab my apocrypha on the way over. As a matter of fact, hold on a second. We have these books in the back. Yeah, these are the old altar books, our old uh, books to read from. So the Holy Bible from the 90th anniversary? When was that? Yeah, I'm just curious if they included the Apocrypha. I doubt they did, but it's possible they did in this one. No, they didn't. All right, so this was a nice Protestanty version without the Apocrypha. But here, 1940... So we're still doing, conducting services in German and in English, probably, in 1940, right? Yeah, so, there's, I was curious if it's in here, if they put it at the back. Yeah, here it is. First Maccabees, second Maccabees. You even have a picture of Judas Maccabeus right there. But it's in German, sorry, I'm not going to read it to you. All right, so remember I made that assertion that up until English, I just demonstrated it, actually. <laughs> Up until English, uh, we included the apocryphal books in our Bibles, right? And then in English, they dropped it. But Luther had it. He translated it from Hebrew and put it in his Bible. So uh, regardless of that, here it is. Oh, there's actually... Oh, look at that. That's some other stuff, too. Anyway, regardless, there it is, the Maccabees. And the Maccabean Revolt, of course, is Judas Maccabeus. He was one of the so-called messiahs. They thought he was the messiah. Didn't work out so well. Uh, he ended up dying. But uh, he came in in, what year did I say, 164 in Kis- Kislev 25. That's a month. Kislev is the month. Um, that Kislev, always, Kislev 25 always falls in December, All right, which is how we know this is the Feast of Dedication, referring to the Maccabean Revolt and the rededication under, Josiah, or under um, uh, Judas Maccabeus. Uh, the whole thing with that, it's a festival of lights. The, the, the myth is that the or legend, I guess, is that the um, candles stayed lit for eight days despite being out of, not having any oil. So it was a miraculous thing, you know, that God, God blessed this revolt um, as they cleansed the temple. It didn't last for very long. Um, yeah. I said 165. Is it 164 or 165? I think there's disagreement about that. So that's what's going on here is the Feast of Dedication. It's not one of the biblically commanded feasts, but it was a feast that they observed, which means not a lot of people are going to be there for it. It's not because it wasn't obligated. It's not like Christmas or Easter. (laughs) This is just one of those, like, this would be like Reformation Day for us, right? I mean, do people feel obligated to go to church on Reformation Day? Maybe you do. I don't know. Ascension. Yeah, but Ascension still, that's an actual event in the Bible. And that's, that's why I said Reformation Day. That comes after the Bible. It's a day we remember, but it isn't recorded in the scriptures, right? So this is the same way. Feast of Dedication. Um, Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Some would say there's a lot more going on here than probably what there is. I think it's just marking, again, a location because this is an actual historic event in a historic place, All right? And John's been very careful that you know, about times, places, dates, locations, you know, just uh, so that 
his proof sentence from uh, the last chapter, that these, thing, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If Jesus didn't do the things that, he's, that John says he, he did, then actually his witness is false. Now, yeah, I mean, it, uh, we've talked about this at length before, but it's worth remem- uh, repeating that um, today religious ideas don't have to be verifiable. And arguably they never have been. Think about, like, we talked about the prophet of Baal and, and Elijah. And, like, Elijah demands that Baal do what they say he can do. In the same way that um, they, he's, he allows God to be tested, right? You know, and rain down the fire from heaven to destroy the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal can't actually, because Baal's a false god, he can't actually do anything. You can't prove that he exists or he doesn't exist, right? And this is how people say, well, what I believe... Um, is what I believe, and you can't, you can't deny that to me. Well, okay, but all you're saying is it's something in your head. Well, how do you know that that's true and not just a figment of your imagination? Well, even if it is a figment of your imagination, if it helps you, then, then it's fine, right? Okay, this is how people think about religion. Um, Ron knows about this. Eileen knows about it. This is what we talked about in Pastor Riley's book, right? All right, so... Um, he's walking in the colonnade of Solomon. That would also be sheltered, so it's December, so probably want to be in shelter. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? <laughs> if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, keep us in suspense, um, it's literally to like catch our breath, to, to hold back our spirit. That would be, that's literal. So why, we're holding our breath, we're waiting in suspense. Tell us the answer. And uh, in case you haven't been paying attention, which I don't think I was, he's actually never claimed to be the Christ to this point. He's never said, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. Other people have said it about him, but he's never claimed it. And again, that's that point that Jesus is allowing himself to be subject to scrutiny, to, self, to examination, right? He claims nothing is coming from himself, but it comes from the Father. Examine my words, examine my works, and then make the confession, right, based off of that. So... Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, <laughs> the, I, I did make a note here on the sheet for you, and I think it's true. Um, the reason why he doesn't come out and just say, I'm the Christ or the Messiah, is that, it, is that they have all these weird ideas wrapped up in who the Messiah is. You know, they're thinking, I don't know if I can find it quickly again. They're thinking Judas Maccabeus, right? They're thinking that kind of Messiah, a guy who's going to, oh, look, it's got the extended length Daniel as well the longer ending of Daniel. That's apocryphal. Anyway, they think Jesus is this Judas Maccabeus guy who's going to overthrow the Romans and conquer earthly rulers and whatnot. They have all these weird ideas that aren't in the Bible, aren't in the scriptures. And so if he just comes out and claims that, then they're going to be looking for that. Instead, um, he reveals himself as the true Messiah by his words and his works. So in a, in a way, then, he's actually re, helping them reframe their expectations of who the Messiah is and what he's to do. Right? He's not just another, um, it's not going to just be another rebellion at the time of the Passover, which, by the way, is when the Maccabean revolt happens. And, of course, that's the reason why, just to jump ahead a few chapters, that's the reason why Pilate offers to release to them a prisoner, as, is, as John tells us, as was his custom. Because every year there's a revolt, every year he has to pacify the people, 
He thinks that the trial of Jesus is another one of these big rebellions. In a way, it is. And so he releases a prisoner, you know, to just kind of pacify the, the crowds. So it's interesting then, because that means that Pilate understands Roman rule in kind of a tenuous way. You know what I mean? It's not like this domineering kind of thing. It's like give and take. There's a little give and take here. <laughs> well, we'll let you have we'll let you have a murderer and an insurrectionist. We'll just release him. We'll pardon him just to keep you happy. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, also note um, before we go too far along, Psalm 30 was the psalm they, that they pray even to this day for this feast. And uh, I've suggested that anytime this will come up in a, in a few chapters here, but anytime a psalm is referred to or suggested, um, it might be worth noting the, how the psalm kind of sets context for us. So, Psalm 30, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me to life. Among, the, from those, among those who go down to the pit. I mean, I'm thinking this is, imagine Jesus praying this psalm. Jesus praying this psalm, and he, which, uh, in, the, in the context of his passion, for example. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I mean, praying this like with his disciples, for example, on the night he was betrayed, he told them that he's going to die. That would be a great thing to pray with them right then, right? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning, namely Easter morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So, I I mean, this, to me, this is death and resurrection language. I think that's pretty obvious. You turned me, or you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I mean, it also could very well you know, it's the kind of language that um, the blind man who's been healed could sing, too. You know, you've turned my sackcloth, or you've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Right? Okay. No, that's not what was supposed to happen. There we go. <laughs> Let's get back to John. All right. So where did we leave off? Where is my cursor? There we are. How long will you keep it? Jesus answered uh, them, I told you, and you do not believe. Well, he didn't tell him, again, he didn't tell them he was the Christ, but he spoke in many things to them, right? And uh, in Jesus' estimation, he tells them not just by speaking, but by doing. His words, uh, his actions are words as well, which they're almost interchangeable for Jesus, which we'll see in a minute. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. See, works are words. They bear witness they testify, see? But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
So that, that was our whole conversation about election back earlier in chapter 10. Jesus knows you, and you follow him. And notice which comes first, his knowing of you, right? His speaking to you, and then you hear and you follow. That's the, the miracle of faith, <laughs> that he gives us trust in his word that we follow him. Even contrary to our own wills, wants, um, desires, um, or even, you know, expectations. I'll put it that way. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, did I say, I did say something about eternal life. Yes. Full emphasis here is on the imperishable and unassailable, unassailable gift of Jesus, that as the good shepherd, he gives to the sheep. It is eternal life. The sheep will never be lost, and no power of the world can break this bond. All right, which is the point. So, um, I know this bugs us that Jesus, well, maybe it doesn't bug us. Jesus is here preaching to, to um, men and women, who, well, largely men, um, who are hard of heart, that don't want to listen to him, and yet he keeps preaching to them, which should be remarkable to us. He keeps telling them, you don't hear me, you're not listening, right? If you would hear me, you would have eternal life, that um, no one will snatch you out of my hand. No one is able to break this bond. That, that is there, and yet they refuse. What is he actually demanding of these Jews? Yeah, I mean, he is trying to give them a new, he's trying, I would say, he is trying to change their perception of him, right? Yeah. Uh, he actually isn't demanding anything of them except for to just shut up and listen <laughs> and to receive his word. That's it, simply, just receive it, right? Um, and we, I think we forget this we don't as Lutherans, but, but Christians generally do because there's so much emphasis on, on like our own collaboration or cooperation with Jesus. You know? um, in some traditions, it's called like a decision or, make, or you know, the altar call. Um, and it's just not how it works. Is that Jesus comes to us whether we want him to or not. He speaks to us uh, whether we like what he's saying or not. And, but that he also works faith in us, whether we want it or not. Um, and I know, I, I, I sometimes get feedback about that. People are like, well, you know, Pastor, you don't sound all that confident about your own faith or, or your, even your own ministry in the church. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, right? <laughs> um, I'm only acknowledging that it's God's good gift and that it's a creation of his own. And I'm not proud or boastful of it at all, because it, uh, only in, insofar as it's his work, you know, to God alone be glory. So I, I think that's the only safe way to go. Uh, otherwise, as soon as you start taking credit for faith, even, um, you start to actually wrestle away glory from God, because you're, you're claiming something as having come from you. Um, I did su suggest to you that we look at Romans 8, so I'll, I'll go up to, on the screen for you, or you can flip there in your Bible if you want, 835. which has that sheep language, but it's a little bit different. But it really is a confession of what we just heard from Jesus, uh, from St. Paul. Uh, well, oh, here, there's the election, too. I don't know how far back, actually. Ah, don't, don't keep scrolling backwards, Pastor. <laughs> You'll end up reading the whole chapter. Okay. It's God who, who can bring any charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies who is to condemn, verse 34? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who, is, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Ding. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see? So you see, uh, jump back here. How is that like what we just read from Jesus? No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand or out of my hand. Notice how he, he speaks it. He speaks synonymously. No one will snatch them out of my hand and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. That he is the Father's hand. Gets that? Yeah. So he does the work of the Father. He speaks the word of the Father. um, And he and the Father are, verse 30, one. Now, I did give you a note about this. Um, I read a lot of the, I don't always do this every week, but I read a lot from the church fathers. And uh, they almost, uh, most of them all use this text, verse 30. They just kind of pull it right out and say that this teaches what we confess in the Nicene Creed. They actually used it at the First Council of Nicaea, um, which incidentally is not where the creed comes from. It comes from um, the Council of Constantinople, but whatever. We call it the Nicene Creed. I know, it's confusing. Anyway, where we say, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Right? by whom all things were made. That word substance is uh, in Greek homoousios, which is of one um, substance. There's actually a lot of argument. There were many church fathers who did not want to use that word and didn't want it included in the creed. Uh, faithful ones. There were also unfaithful ones who didn't want it in the creed because it's actually a term from Aristotle. So what they were doing is they were taking Aristotelian or Aristotle's philosophical terms about the nature of being and they were applying it to the person of Jesus. So if you ever wondered why it sounds like a, well, it sounds kind of confusing, the Nicene Creed, that's the reason, is that it's philosophy being co-opted by faith. But regardless, one substance, meaning having of the same essence. The reason why this was important is there was a guy named Arius. Have you heard of Arius? Right. Arius said that Jesus was, was not God, that he was less than God. He was sort of like in the way of Muhammad being like God's prophet, all right? Uh, and Arius was the most, I mean, he was the, I would say he was the predominant um, religious movement of his day. Most people were Arians. He was very persuasive. Most Christians were persuade, uh, Arians um, at the time of the council. And then against him were the people like Athanasius, who you've heard of, because we have a creed named after him, um, who said that no, um, he, he and the Father are one. They're of one substance. They, they share the same essence, if you like. They're both God, just simply put. They're both God. And yet, two persons, but one God, right? So the, all that creedal stuff. Um, against, well, there was also a guy named Sibelius who said that Jesus was, was God, but next to God, kind of. It's another confusing way to think about things. Uh, basically, here's what happens. If you try to figure out the mystery of the Trinity, you're going to fall into unbelief and, and error. Right? It's like, how many, how many times, oh, some of you are children, are taught Sunday school or taught day school children? 
Think about all the analogies people use for the Holy Trinity. I don't know. I don't use analogies. Any of you heard the one about the apple? There's like the skin and the flesh and then the core, and it's one apple, and yet there's three. That's called modalism, by the way, where God reveals himself in three different ways, as Father, as Son, as Spirit. But no, it's three separate persons. Anyway, I don't think that's what's going on here in the context. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to teach us that, that they're of the same essence, but simply that the words that the, Jesus speaks are the words of the Father, that the works that Jesus does are the works given to him by the Father, right? and that if you want to know the Father, you look to the Son. And no one can know the Father except the Son and to those whom the Son reveals him. That's it. Which is, that's John's gospel, so not a big problem. That's what we've been talking about. Does Jesus get into all the details of how the Father and the Son are interrelated and the, the whole mystery of the Holy Trinity here? No. He's just, again, this is repeating what we read back in chapter 5, right? Where um, you say you're, you're of your father Abraham, but you are of your father the devil. Right? And that whole nature of fatherhood being, you know, who's your daddy, I guess, is how you'd say it. But um, who, what you say and what you do reveals actually where you're from, your, your patronage, your, uh, your lineage, which, of course, we know is true, too. The Father speaks like the Son. Or excuse me, the Son speaks like the Father. Right? Whether you like it or don't like it, it's just part of the deal. All right, so I and the Father are one. Well, they asked him to say, are, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And he says, I and the Father are one, which is even more than any, that's more than anybody thought about the Messiah, that, that the Messiah would be the Son of God. Now, we, we looked at Daniel chapter 7, right? When was that? last week, week before, something like that. In Daniel chapter 7, with the Ancient of Days and then the one like the Son of God, Son of Man, that it's there in the Old Testament that God will, himself will redeem and save his people. Um, but, you know, they don't have that conception that the Messiah is going to be God in flesh. And in this case, the Son of God, more even precisely. All right, so he says that, and of course that's the reason why they want to stone him so this is not the first time, because it says again to stone him. When was the first time they wanted to stone him? Back in 8.59, by the way. Chapter 8, verse 59. So you can see that. And he's been getting them fired up over and over before. <coughs> they get angry with him. Uh, and again, he's not trying to get them angry. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but he's simply... This is, this is how it works. Um, uh, as Paul says, he is a, a rock of offense. He's a stumbling block. Jesus is. Namely, his cross, but, but I would say broadly speaking, Jesus is. We don't like this. Now, we were talking about, uh, you know, doing some outreach as a congregation, and it's one of the things that you have to be prepared to receive is that people are going to say, I don't want anything to do with you people. And what they really mean is, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Um, that includes people who say, well, I believe in God, but I don't, I don't believe I need to go to church. And that, that is a rejection of Jesus. What? Yes. Because who's present? Who's speaking to you? Jesus is his word. Who's forgiving you in Jesus' name? Who's baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Right? Whose body and blood do we receive at the altar? Jesus' body and blood. So the, the people who say, I can be a Christian without going to church, are actually saying, I can be a Christian without Jesus. 
which I, I don't know how, I can't really contort my face enough <laughs> to explain how irrational and actually um, un, unfaithful that is to God's own word. Yeah? Well, that's a great example, too. They consider themselves Christian, yet they deny the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. They actually use a verse that's coming up as one of their proof texts, by the way. <laughs> so that bring up the Jehovah's Witness, Ron, is a good, is a, it's going to be helpful here in a minute because, because of the way Jesus quotes Psalm 82. Anyway, the Jews answered him, it is, it is for a good work. It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you. We don't care about what you're doing, right? We don't care about what you're doing, but it's, it's for your blasphemy. It's for the bad words you've said. <laughs> because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, are they wrong? Nope. <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely right. And the reason they, they're gonna, they want to stone him, the reason they want to kill him, is actually because of who they believe he is. You see, they have faith in Jesus as the Son of God, in a way. <laughs> right? But that faith is, seeks to kill him or destroy him because that, that doesn't fit within their conception. They, they, can't, they can't accept that, that God would come and redeem them. Their whole salvation project has been their, a self-salvation project. They're going to save themselves. That's what, they, that's what they're all about. Hmm. So because they accused him of blasphemy, which is speaking against God, namely against his word, um, I think that's the reason why Jesus, where's my cursor? Oh, no. That's not good. Come back. Oh, no. What happened? Did I do that? Looking for TV. Connect to church. See what happens. Uh, technology. Don't scroll into the far right corner, apparently. That's not a good, good plan. Okay, there we're back. Okay, scrolling up. There's my cursor. Okay, good. Sorry about that. For blasphemy, right? So he's speaking against God's word, so he responds with God's word. And not only any God's word, but is it not written in your law? <laughs> Namely, Psalm 82, I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? All right, now, uh, this Psalm 82 thing is, is probably a little confusing for you. <laughs> it's confusing for a lot of folks, actually. Um, it's usually just skipped over when, when we talk about that psalm, is the fact that God actually calls people gods. Um, and what he means, I think, uh, did I write this down? Probably. You are gods. Yeah. Um, that, well, there's different takes. If you have the Concordia Self-Study Bible or the, the Lutheran Study Bible, yeah, he's referring to people who've been, who've been commissioned by God in his stead, in his place. So you could refer to people who've been sent by God as gods. That's, that's one way you could go with this. Okay. Um, some would say that it's angels who are sent in God's name, right? Um, as gods, lowercase g, not uppercase g, but that sort of thing. Uh, maybe we should actually look at the psalm, because <laughs> otherwise you don't have any context. So let's go to Psalm 82. Psalm of Asaph. 
Um, the first part is really important here. And actually, I have a whole book suggesting that this is actually referring to what the, um, the divine council is referring to what we say in the liturgy of saints and angels and the whole host of heaven. That's the divine council. That, that the, um, the lamb upon his throne, that, that that's a vision of the council room, the council chambers of the court. Uh, and there's plenty of evidence of that. The courtroom scene is used by, by Jesus frequently uh, for justification, for being made right with God. Uh, and so that the, the divine council are all those who testify before the Father, um, all those who confess his name. That would include you then in the resurrection. So maybe that's what's going on here in Psalm 82. Um, I actually have a book suggesting it's something far more than that. It's called The Unseen Realm, and uh, I've tried to dig into it, and uh, it's a little bit above my head, but anyway. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Quote, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's God speaking in judgment in the council room. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the most high. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Um, so now you've got the whole psalm. I would suggest that Jesus is saying that these Jews that he's speaking to who've been given to judge over Israel, who've been given to preach God's word in God's name to the people, to offer sacrifices in the way of God's instruction, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. He calls them sons of the Most High, sons of God, just as he calls you children of God. Maybe you've never thought about this. He calls you children of God, which makes you what? Yeah, heirs and sons. If you're a son of God, then what are you? <laughs> What's that? Brother, if you're a brother of Christ. Okay, a son of a duck is a what? A duck. <laughs> Which is the language of this. I mean, it bothers us um, that he would call us gods. But I mean, what, what is it to be a God? Just to have all authority in heaven and on earth, right? Um, to be set over creation. And actually, he does. He sets us over all creation through our sonship, being joined to Jesus. Um, now, some, some traditions, like the Eastern uh, traditions, actually say that they actually have a term for this. They call it, um, I think they call it, well, in English, they would call it divinization, that we're being made um, into God, into gods. And that, so that's the Eastern Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, that tradition. Um, uh, we're hesitant to do that um, because we always want to make, maintain the distinction between God and, and creation, right? But think of the way Paul talks. He says we are being conformed into the image of his son. So while we'll never be God, well, if we're in God's image, then we're like God, right? Yeah. Um, we're certainly like God in the image of his son, Jesus, who, though he was... I try to get this, the Paul right here on this one. 
Though he was in the form of God, did not consider um, godliness something to be grasped, but, but humbled himself um, to be born of a woman and, and to die, even to die upon a cross. Right? So we see, we actually see in Jesus God becoming, actually conforming himself to our image that we would be conformed to his. There's this exchange, um, blessed exchange, Luther calls it, where we receive all that is the Son's and the Son receives all that is ours. Well, anyway, I don't know. I'm not going to call you gods, don't worry. I'll just use a more churchy word, saints, okay? <laughs> In the image of God. Right. So they've all, been, they've all been chosen by God, elected by God, and yet what have they done with it? They've, they've abandoned knowledge and understanding, discernment. They walk about in darkness. They ignore the Most High who is present amongst them, the Son of the Most High, Jesus. And, and thus, even though the promise of eternal life is theirs, they're going to die, just like any prince. This is, of course, what happens to those who receive the gift of baptism and then deny that gift. Is baptism, does baptism give forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? Yes. Right? The only thing that can destroy that gift, the only thing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus is actually you saying, I don't want it. <laughs> right? Can any, anything external to you do that? No. Not the world, not, not the devil. Yeah. Not powers or principalities. Not prince. Not, it, it comes down to just a simple thing. Who do you say that he is? Right? But then we, we want to be careful and say your will is not more powerful than your baptism. Okay? So you can try your darndest to actually deny your baptism. <laughs> um, we'll see how well that goes. Just try. No, don't. Please. Don't deny your baptism. All right. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Yeah. And then notice, too, that this part here... I think this is all in the background for what Jesus is talking about back in John, is that this is what they're not doing, judging, un, they're judging unjustly and showing partiality to the wicked. They're not giving justice to the weak and fatherless, maintaining the right of the afflicted and the destitute, the weak and the needy, which is precisely what Jesus has been all about, especially chapters 5 to 10, but even all the way back to the beginning. All right, so you can meditate more on Psalm 82. You looked it up. Was it in the Bible or in the hymnal? No, so we don't even use it in church because I bet people will be like, what are you saying? You called us gods? Can you really do that? Well, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. Ah, Where are we? Keep going, keep going. I'm sorry, I scrolled too far. All right, there we go. If I am not doing, verse 37, the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. All right? So um, this is just like uh, what St. James says, that faith without works is dead. Right? Words without deeds, um, you know, deeds, deeds can undermine the words that you say. So, you know, hypocrisy, right, is what we call that, you know, in the church. Right, where, you, where you, um, you're above judgment. That, that literally means that you say one thing and you do another thing. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not just saying these things. Look at what I've been doing. Right? Now, which comes work first, works or faith? Faith. Right? And without faith, there can be no works. But faith without works cannot be faith. Right? So regardless of whether you read Paul or you read John, or James, either way, the point is, is that faith will result in spirit-worked works. 
It happens. There will be peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? It's not something you have to do. It's something that you receive. It's a gift to you by virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. Right? And in the case of Jesus, like, look, I, can't, I couldn't just say I'm from the Father and not do the works of the Father. Because then I would be, I'd be a hypocrite like you guys <laughs> who say you're of God and yet you don't do the works of God. See how that works? Ah, that was a pun, I guess. Oh, sorry. You know? So it would be kind of like this. Um, if I said I'm your pastor, I've been, I've been sent to you by God to be your pastor, and then I don't do any pastory things. Like when you come to church, I shake your hand and, I don't know, it would be something really comical. Well, I mean, it could be something a little more subtle, like we watch a Dave Ramsey video and we talk about, you know, good use of your money or something. You're like, is that really what the pastor's been sent to do? No, I mean, just look, John 20, he's been sent to forgive in Jesus' name. He's been sent, Matthew 28, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? He's been sent, just read the upper room. I've been sent to, to give, um, to administer the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he's sent to do. If pastor's not doing pastor things, then is pastor actually, can you actually trust his words? Of course, there's a problem here because pastors are sinful, unlike Jesus. So, yes, pastors don't always do what they've been given to do. They are negligent. I am negligent. Um, there's a constant um, battle or self-examination or whatever to say, is this really my job or am I actually doing something that um, is, or, or am I neglecting my job or am I not doing my job, right? Um, and there's, there's indictment there and there needs to be forgiveness there too for the pastor where he fails. So, so the, there's always the problem, of course, your pastor is not Jesus. Sorry. He's been sent by Jesus. He's sent with Jesus' gifts. That doesn't mean he always does it in the Jesus way. And so... Uh, uh, it's appropriate for people to uh, correct the pastor, to forgive the pastor, uh, and to encourage them to do, do the right job. So, but that's not the case with Jesus. <laughs> he says the Father's word, he does the Father's will. That's it. No exception. And again, he allows himself to be set up, um, you know, to be examined. He's even going to allow himself to be put on trial unjustly, right, with no evidence. Again, they sought to arrest him but he escaped from their hands. Again, I said this was like kind of the end of a division, but you can see it's already hinting towards the next whole section. They're seeking to arrest him. They want to kill him for blasphemy, which is the whole context of chapters 10 through the end, <laughs> or at least through the, through the death. Okay, and then chapter, uh, verse 40, this part's really cool, I think. I don't know that I'd ever noticed this before, but he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So, I mean, there could be any number of things going on here, but I think the big thing, how did I put it on here? We're back to the beginning. So, you know, maybe chapters 1 through 10 is kind of an artificial distinction, but I think it's helpful because now we circle back to chapter 1 again, right, where John was by the, by the Jordan baptizing, right? And what did John say back in chapter 1? Well, let's just go back to it. Why not, right? I go back to like 127. Oh, a little bit further back, maybe. I wrote 127. All right, so there, this is the inter interaction with, with John. They're asking who he is. I'm not the Christ. 
I'm not Elijah. I'm the one, or I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? He said, I baptize with water, but one uh, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Bethany. Who is he going to meet in Bethany in chapter 11? Who? Mary, Martha, and dead Lazarus, right? Yeah. Right, so that's how we get back to this. But then look what happens then. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world which is what all, that's what everything is about, Jesus forgiving sins from here on out, chapter 11 through the end, okay? It has been all since the beginning, but very precisely um, by his suffering and death. This is of he who I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. That is, he, he is a higher authority than me. Um, that'll be in the sermon today. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And then he bears witness to Jesus' baptism. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then it keeps going. Again, behold the Lamb of God as he walks by. The two disciples follow Jesus. So we're gonna, that's going to happen again. Jesus goes back to the Jordan, and we're going to start all over again. There he's, he's speaking, but now who's not at the River Jordan this time? Yeah, there's no more John. Uh, John, uh, uh, John is already in the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, with the whole bit with Herod. Which I, did I give you that verse? I think that's, do we find that out? Where do we find out that John was dead? Uh, do they tell us in John's gospel? I don't remember. Maybe. All right. So he's going back. Um, and, and, but note this, what it says in verse 41. John did no signs. So, which is really incredible then. So the people came out to John. They were baptized by him, but he gave no evidence that he was the prophet. They actually trusted John just on the basis of his words. And then here's Jesus, who speaks with authority, who speaks from God, being the Son of God. They won't receive his words, and they don't receive his works. You see the contrast that's being set up there? Um, but note, everything that John said about this man was true. So I think the other reason we go back to the River Jordan is that, behold the... Don't lean against that. That looks very... That's not going to work. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You actually can't fix this because the bolt is stripped. Yeah, so that's why it's like that. Okay, don't lean against that. I'll lean this way. There we go. Um, everything that John had said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has that yet been done? No, right? That's, what, that's what's going to be happening now in his passion, his suffering, passion, and death, right? So the... Um, so the reason to go back to John and the location of John is because... Oh, yeah, by the way, all the things that John um, said were going to happen, they haven't yet happened, so let's remind you about that. I think. I think that's a good, a good way to counter this. Yeah, John did no miracles, but, uh, but now Jesus does. Hmm. Okay, did I go too fast? 
Maybe. Let's talk a little bit about authority, because that's going to come up in the sermon. Um, but we mentioned that back, uh, this whole bit about the Father and me, and I'm in the Father, and you don't believe me, even though I speak in the Father's Word. Um, I struggled to actually keep this sermon at a decent length, because um, it's kind of a big topic, but it's an important one. Um, this idea that, that the pastor is sent in Jesus' name, and thus when the pastor speaks, it's Jesus speaking, it does seem foreign to people. I don't think they actually... I think it would make sense if we explained it, but they don't actually believe that. I actually, I had an experience in Indiana where um, I had a non-Lutheran who, who attended one of our services and then who took me aside later and was actually offended. He said, Pastor, no one can forgive God, sins but God alone. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Only God can forgive sins, and he did so in Jesus Christ through his, through his death for you. And I said, but how do you know your sins are forgiven? Well, God has promised to forgive my sins. Okay, has he? You know, and then it's like, well, silence. <laughs> How do you know he's forgiven your sins? Well, he said so. Okay. And, and you trust that word? Yes. Are you sure? Well, mostly, sometimes, right? This is, uh, if you haven't noticed this, I don't usually use, I don't think I've ever used the right-hand column um, in the absolution. Have you noticed that? We only use the left-hand column. There's a right-hand column. Listen to the language of the right-hand column. I'll just, it doesn't matter which one, I'll use service one. In mercy of Almighty, in the mercy of Almighty God, I don't even know the words, in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. But notice this. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. May the Lord, who has begun this good work in us, bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Quoting John 1, quoting Philippians 1. All true, right? But what's the difference between saying to those who believe in Jesus Christ Christ, he gives the power to become children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Versus, in this stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. What's the distinction? That's how it sounds. That's not what it says, but that's how it sounds. Yeah, because power, that language of power, right? This is going to come, this is the nature of the sermon today. Um, we forget that that at least in terms of God, power is only exercised responsibly when it's done under authority. All right? So remember that story where Jesus um, sends out the disciples, and then, then they come back, and they're upset. They're upset because there's other people out there casting out demons in your name, but they weren't authorized to do so. Okay? That's, and they're upset. Jesus like, they can't be. They're not your disciples. Why are they doing that? And he's like, um, they would have no power at all unless it had been given to them. That's how he says it to um, Pontius Pilate. But there he says, how does he say it? He's, well, it's in his name. If they say it in his name, they're doing it under his authority. That's what that means. Right? So when I say in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that says, I don't have any authority to forgive your sins, but God does. And God has sent me with that authority. Does that make sense? Now, can you, can you forgive sins? Have you been authorized to forgive sins? Yes, you have too, right? But we've talked about this, I think, that if you just say, I forgive you, 
That's, that's actually hard to say because usually you just say, it's okay, don't worry about it, you know. If you say, I forgive you to a friend, a spouse, you know, sibling, whatever, um, that's hard enough to say. But try to say, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. Especially an you know, unbeliever, that'll really kind of get their hackles up a little bit. It's like, you can't use Jesus' name. I said, well, I can't actually forgive except in Jesus' name, so... Okay, let's deal with Jesus now. <laughs> so you see that um, um, authority and power go together. And um, you can, that doesn't mean you can't do things uh, outside of authority. But if you, you, can, you can operate outside of God's authority, and then to do so is actually the work of the devil, which is what um, Jesus ex- you know, explained to the, the Jews. They were keeping all the feasts that God had given they were observing all the laws that God had, had given. And yet they are the father of their devil because they're not doing it under his authority and in faith. Which is pretty incredible. All right, so that was, that was going on there too. You are God. All right, very good. So we'll, we'll jump in and we get, we don't have arguing time anymore next week. We get actually a story and it's kind of uh, a little bit more interesting. Uh, but it's also resurrection. All right, good. Prepare for worship. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.